I'm sounding a little throaty, it's because somebody in my house gave me a cold. I'd say the name out loud, but I'm a little intimidated. What would you do if this was happening to you? Just think about this. If these things were happening to you, that you were being thrown in prison, that your stuff was being taken from you, and that you were being constantly maligned and persecuted, hated, just because you were a Christian. In the book of Hebrews, we have a letter that is written to Hebraic Christians. And some or many, if not all, are going through all kinds of difficulties and challenges because they are simply Christ followers. Nothing more than that. They are just trying to serve Jesus as faithfully as they possibly can. But because they are Christ followers, there are those in the community who are giving them such a difficult time that they're thinking about packing it in and turning away from following Christ to reverting back to the days and the ways of religion and specifically Judaism. It's difficult for us in this part of the world to think about the realities of that. We know that there are Christians in other parts of the world that it is challenging to wake up every day and be a Christ follower. That there is personal risk and peril sometimes economic opportunities stolen from you. And, and, and just because you're a Christ follower, because you're not one of us. Uh, we also know that there were some in those days, and some even today, that simply because they're Christ followers, that they are jailed and harassed, and in some places even, even put to death. And that's what's going on here. And it's important for you to understand the context of all of this. Because the letter is basically written to a group of struggling Christians who are thinking of packing it in because it's just too hard to serve Jesus. That other people are making it so difficult to serve Christ that they would rather revert back to their old religious ways before they serve the Lord, back into things like Judaism and, and other things, just to escape the persecution. You, you walked freely into church today and nobody gave you a hard time. And you're at work Monday to Friday and people may or may not know that you're a Christian. But if they are, they're, you know, they're not giving you a hard time. When you interviewed for a job, you weren't asked, are you a Christ follower? That didn't get in the way of getting you a job. The, the police didn't show up at your house at 3 in the morning and arrest you and throw you in the jail simply because you're a Christ follower. None of those things are happening to you. But what if they were? How much of that could you endure? How long would you be willing to hang in there if 
That was the price that you had to pay to be a Christ follower. Well, that's exactly what's taking place here. And that's why this letter is being written. There's a lot more to it, obviously. Uh, the main religion that these people are thinking about reverting back to is, is Judaism and, and things the way they were under the Mosaic Law, the Law of Moses. And, and so we know that they're, they're Jews at one time, they've converted to Christianity, and it's likely Jews that haven't converted to Christianity that are giving these people such a hard time in their hometowns. But it's, it's, it's pervasive and it's causing all kinds of problems. And, and so the letter is written to encourage them to say, look, you need to hang tough. You need to stick it out. You need to keep following Jesus because reverting back to Judaism isn't going to get you anything, isn't going to get you anywhere. Because it was just a shadow and a type of the things to come that are fulfilled in Christ. So, so why go back to, to the shadows and the types? Why go back to the things that pointed to the reality that we have in Jesus Christ? And so parts of the letter from time to time are simply there to encourage these people to continue on. And the text comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So some, some were giving up the habit of meeting together. Some were, in a sense, quitting church or quitting the church family. They, they stopped gathering. And so there was a real concern amongst the rest of the, the Christian community about these folks. And so the letter writer tells us that, that we who are able to are in proximity to these who are thinking about packing it in, that we have a responsibility to help them in their growth. That we need to come alongside them and encourage them as best as, as we possibly can and encourage them to, to keep going and to keep growing in the faith. And to really understand what we have in Christ Jesus. And the letter to the Hebrews expresses all that we have in Christ Jesus. But there is this reality of all of the difficulty that is going on. And so they're not trying to pretend that there's not firm resistance to some of the Christian community and that the struggles aren't real. It, it, he's not encouraging them just to ignore it, but he certainly is challenging them to persevere, to hang in there. But it's tough to do that alone. You can only encourage yourself so much. At some point, you're going to need others to come alongside you and encourage that's why when you get saved and uh, others get saved, the Bible tells us that a couple of things happen. The first thing that happens is, is that you don't really see it. But when you confess Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us that we are baptized or placed into or immersed into the body of Christ. First uh, Corinthians 12 and 13 teaches us about that. that. That verse baptized there isn't talking about water baptism. It's talking about the fact that when you get saved you are immediately placed into the body of Christ. Everyone who is a believer is in the body of Christ. Everyone. Now, you don't see yourself necessarily 
physically attached. You don't see yourself going in to, to some kind of container called the body of Christ. But you are placed in Him when you confess faith in Jesus Christ. And so whether you are in Australia or you are in New Zealand, or you're in Argentina, or you're in Honduras, or you're in the Dominican Republic, or you're in Canada. If you've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, even though you're in other geographic regions of the world, we are all one in the body of Christ. Amen? You understand that? That's good. But we also have a physical body that we become attached to, placed in. That's called the local church. And the Bible teaches and encourages local churches. In fact, you'll notice that the letters in the New Testament, most of them are written to local churches or they're written to leaders of local churches. And, and, and just by the fact that that's how it's done back in those days and continues to be done today, we understand the, the importance of the local assembly. We understand the importance of, of, yeah, I'm in this. I need to follow Christ and I need to take care of myself spiritually. But God doesn't ask me to do that alone. He places me with other members of the body of Christ and together we grow. And I'm going to get into way more detail about that next week in the third series of this Choose to Grow series. But today I just want to come alongside you and encourage some who are maybe struggling and encourage the rest of us to understand our responsibility to encourage others to continue to grow, to hang in there. And specifically being linked to a local church and understanding the importance of a local church. You and I were never meant to live for Christ outside of a community of believers. Now, the community can be big or small, but we were never meant to live the faith outside a community of believers. As I said, Christ saves us and immediately places us into His body by the Holy Spirit. But this spirit body also has a physical entity called the local assembly or the local church. Back in the good old days, it was called in the Greek the ecclesia, the ones that were called out. In our church, we understand that we have a responsibility toward one another. We're here to assist one another in our growth. The community of believers has huge responsibilities. You and I have huge responsibilities, and I want to just lay that out for you and explain that to you this morning. From this passage in Hebrews 10.25, we're going to look at three eyes. We're going to look at the imperative about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. We're going to look at the importance of us exhorting one another. And then finally, we're going to look at the inspiration that what drives all of this is that we need to understand that Jesus is coming. But before Jesus comes, before that day approaches, there's going to be all kinds of hardships. And so it's going to be important to be in a community to help one another through these difficult and challenging times. I was looking back in my files, and I preached on this back in 2011, and so I reviewed some of the things that I spoke about back in those days. And I realized that in about five or six years, it's amazing how, you know, what you focused on in one message and how you focus on another message uh, seem to be a little bit different. The, the Spirit is doing something a little bit different. We're, we're in a different place than we were uh, a number of years ago. As I mentioned earlier, 
the reason why some in this, these churches or this community of faith were thinking about packing it in was that the persecution was so very difficult. If you look at Hebrews chapter 10, and I just want to show you uh, some of the verses here in Hebrews chapter 10. Go down to verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, after they had become Christians. When you endured in a great conflict full of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. And so the cost of following Jesus was real in those days. And that they were tossed in prison and they were persecuted and they, they had their stuff confiscated simply because they were Christians. But what about today in our neck of the woods? Again, you're not being tossed in prison. Most of us aren't being insulted because we're Christ followers. And our goods aren't being confiscated. What about our reasons? for forsaking the assembling of ourselves and, and for not gathering and for taking ourselves out of the community. Well, there, there probably is as varied as the people who have been through those experiences and have felt those things. I, I've listed a few here. One of the reasons why sometimes we, we, we take ourselves out of the fellowship of the church, the first, the biggest reason is, is we simply don't understand how important the community of believers is, really. Somehow or another, we weren't taught properly or it just never connected with us that we really do need one another. Uh, some of us are, are loners by, by nature, if I can use that expression. We like to do things alone. It may be, have been the pattern of our lives. And, and to be honest, uh, to come into a community of faith and, and to put our, our spiritual lives in the hands of others and to make ourselves accountable to others is sometimes challenging for some of us. Some of us, it's just simply the, the valuing of other people. You might have some kind of air of superiority that, you know, I know more than you do, so what could you possibly bring to me that would help me? You need me, but I'm not so sure that I, that I need you. If you go on the Internet these days, you will see all kinds of people, whether it's, it's on blogs or Facebook or other places, uh, talking about certain kinds of churches that have sold out to the world, that they, they don't preach the true gospel, that pastors and, and leaders are only interested in money and the number of people in the pews and, and all of those kinds of things. And so there's this, there's this sense of, of, of some Christ followers telling other Christ followers that you can't trust the church anymore. And, and everybody's lumped into the, the same pile. And so you can't trust the local church. The organized church can't be trusted. Its motives are questions. Its goals are questionable. Those kinds of things. They're not really interested in me as, as a person. I'm, I'm the ends to a means and, and nothing more than that. And I'm sure in some places that's probably true. Hopefully it's not true of us, but I'm sure in some places that's probably true. I just think it's difficult sometimes and the Internet's horrible for this, that you paint everybody with the same brush. We, we hear these things 
you know, the church family may not be as supportive as we'd like it to be. It may not be as friendly as we'd like it to be. It may not be as nice as we'd like it to be. They, they don't fuss over me as much as I would like. No one seems to notice me or, or values me. It, it, it could be this. I went to that church, and, and you know who goes there? I, I want to remind us, right? that if it were not for the grace of God, none of us would be saved. None of us would have been cleansed from our sin. None of us would have been given the Spirit to walk in the fullness of, of His Word and His power. That, that all of us come to Christ broken and bent and out of shape with a past and sins in our lives. Many times things that we're, we're not very proud about, obviously. But I mean, nobody comes into this place pure and pristine. You realize that, right? I mean, God bless those of you that, that were raised in the church and maybe never got into a lot of stuff in your life. And, and your, your, your life is pretty clean in the past. But the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That there's nobody righteous, not even one. And so we all needed a Savior. And so, you know, yeah, maybe that person does go there. But you should say, thank God they do that they're a Christ follower now and Jesus is in their life rather than, well, I couldn't possibly go there because I know about that person and I know about their past. And I know about something that they were into or did. Sometimes we, we get frustrated not so much with the people and with the structure. Sometimes there's a frustration with God. Is that, you know what, I was looking for God to do something and it, and it didn't seem to happen and so... I, I, it's not just the local church. It's nothing to do with it. It's, it's a bigger thing. I just don't trust God anymore. I thought that once I followed Christ, that all of my problems would go away. All of them would just disappear. And every single last prayer that I prayed, selfish and unselfish, would be answered immediately. And when that doesn't happen, some of us get a little frustrated with that. Sometimes we get a little more spiritual. We say things, well, nothing interesting or anointed ever happens here. I mean, again, the reasons that, that some people leave are as varied as the number of people that leave churches every week all around the globe. Sometimes we're just struggling with sin. And church is a constant reminder of that. You know, it, it's hard when you, as a Christ follower, it's hard when you are, you, when you know you're deliberately sinning, when you know that you're deliberately walking in disobedience. It's hard to walk into the house of the Lord every Sunday and feel good about that. You know, until you get that dealt with with God, you, you're never going to feel good about that. And so you're going to flee because it's a reminder that I'm not right with God. And until you get right with God, that's always going to be just a little bit of a cloud that kind of hangs over you. So it's a lot easier Sunday morning to stay at home and watch the news. Because there's no conviction in that. Oh, I could go on. i got way more stuff in my notes that I could camp on, but I won't. The bottom line is the reasons are many. 
Some of them more valid than others, but the reasons are many. Again, remember the context of this church wasn't that they were frustrated with God or frustrated with the, the lack of the moving of the Spirit or frustrated with their pastors or, or frustrated with the congregation that they were fellowshipping with. It wasn't that they felt unnoticed or taken for granted. The problem here simply is persecution. They're just struggling with persecution. But because they're struggling with persecution they decide to leave their community of believers and they're going to go back to their old ways, their former ways, because if they do that, and in this case, it's following Judaism again, people will leave them alone. Sometimes that's what we want, right? Just leave me alone. Just... But we have a responsibility when we see people that are forsaking the assembling of themselves, that they're not gathering together, we have a responsibility to come alongside people. And here's what the Bible says in verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So why? So that we won't give up the meeting together of ourselves. So it tells us to exhort or to spur one another or to encourage. Now, I'm I'm a little suspect of the word Spur. Those of you that have ridden horses with spurs know what a spur will do in the side of the horse. I'm not asking you to do that to those people in the church, okay? Not sure that in the sides is going to help people. That's not kind of the encouragement. So let's look at the word encourage or exhort. Let's exhort one another on to love and good deeds. Let me word it another way. Let's provoke in a godly way. Not annoy people, but let us provoke in a godly way. The first thing it tells us, let us provoke them to love. Now understand this, right? That love comes from God first. His love flows from Him through us and then to others. The Bible tells us in 1 John, and it says a bunch of things in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, that God is love. That's not a definition of God, but it certainly speaks of, of one of His major attributes. And the Bible tells us, if we don't love, we don't know God. The Bible tells us that the greatest of all things, faith and hope and all of that, the greatest is love in 1 Corinthians 13 and 13. The Bible tells us to spur on others to love, so to utilize the love, so we need to utilize the love of God to assist us. 2 Thessalonians 1 and 3 says this about that church, that the Apostle Paul, when looking at that church and writing to it, says that the love that they have for one another is increasing. So my point is this. If we're going to spur one another on to love and good deeds, the first thing we have to do is really connect with God so that we are loving people. Because the love comes from Him, right? I care about people because... God cares about me, and God's shown His love to me, and so I I love other people. It's not just that I I muster it up in myself that I have to care about people, but it's both the love of God flowing to us through the Holy Spirit, and that that love continues to increase. And he talks about this church here in Thessalonians, uh, that that their love for one another is increasing. So if, if we want to encourage people, people need to know that we care, that we love them. And that we encourage them in love. Because you know what? It's hard to leave a community of believers where you feel loved. Now, no community of believers is perfect. And I wouldn't suggest to you that we love perfectly all the time. 
But I think that needs to be part of our goal, is that if we're going to spur others who are struggling on to love and good deeds, that we need to model that and understand where that comes from. That comes from God. And so we need to fill ourselves up with God and His love to encourage others to love and on towards good deeds. In other words, Christian activity, activity in the faith. I've got a a picture up there. Remember the old song, Home, Home on the Range, where seldom is heard a discouraging words and the skies are not cloudy all day? That's what some people need to hear. That's a picture of Sean and I. Took that in the office on Thursday. I'll, I'll let you figure out which one's Sean, which one's me. But we need to encourage one another. We need to encourage them specifically, though, into loving good deeds. And the Bible tells us, let us consider. Think about that. Everybody's different, right? Have you noticed? Look around. Some of you are more different than others. No names. It says, let us consider. The whole idea is this. Give some thought. Give some prayerful thought and meditation on how you might might exhort or spur on Someone to love and good deeds. Because everybody needs a different kind of nudge. And a different kind of encouragement. You know? Not everybody needs tough love. And so the Bible tells us there to consider. So if you've got friends or family members, if there's people in the pew that you know that are, that are struggling, that they're thinking about walking away, not just from the local church here, but you've got to realize these people weren't just walking out in the church. They were walking out on Jesus. They were going back to Judaism, back to all the old laws and, 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 and all the legalism that comes with that. And so when we run into people that, whether it's a Jesus thing, it's a faith thing, or it's just a church thing, we have a responsibility to encourage them to consider how's the best way to approach these folks and encourage them that's going to help them move along. What's hanging them up? What's their problem? What's their issue? We often point the finger at others and we say, well, the issue isn't me, the issue is other people. And so it can seem like, well, if we fix other people, we fix the pastor, we we fix the church service, we we fix the people around us, then I I would be more content. And here's what I think about that. I think that most time the issue is mine. I blame other people, but the issue is mine. The reason why I'm not doing well in the faith, the reason why I'm not pressing on, the reason why I'm not growing isn't because of that person or that person, that person who didn't say hi, or that person who doesn't preach this, or that service that didn't have this, but it's me. It's because I'm not taking care of me, which was last week's sermon. My in-laws have been serving God for most of their adult life. And occasionally we, we talk about, you know, church life, especially my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law has been doing, doing the, the, the Jesus thing and the church thing, you know, since, since the 30s. Been through, and, and she looks good for 29. She's been doing this church thing for decades and decades and decades. Been in... Her home church, 
been in the churches in the Ottawa-Pembroke area, Manitoulin Island. I was even her pastor back in the good old days and, and once again for a little while now. I mean, they've heard, seen, and done everything. They've had pastors come and they've had pastors go. They've had people come, they've had people go. They've had this issue and that issue. You know what? They've always been rock solid. You know why they've always been rock solid? Because their eyes are where? Their eyes are on Jesus. Look, hey, if you want to find fault... Sorry, guys. Just, just put your eyes on somebody else. I'm sure if I give it a few minutes, I can think of reasons why Taylor's not perfect. Jonathan... Connor, Lauren, got all kinds of issues with cold. I mean, yeah, you know what? We're not all that. We're not all that. We don't always get it right. We don't always do it. We don't always this. We don't always that. But you're not here for them. You're there for who? Jesus. So keep your nose and your eyes in the Word. Keep your heart soft and malleable to the moving of the Spirit. Let your focus be on Jesus. Understand that you have a responsibility to exhort and encourage others in the faith. And let that be your focus. And not that everybody else has to think my way or do it my way or believe it my way or see it my way or worship my way or, uh, you know, those kinds of things or fuss over me or give me the attention that I think that I've earned and deserve. But just, just focus on Jesus. As a pastor, I see people over the years, bounce from church to church to church to church to church. And I'm willing to admit that not all churches are awesome. But I think if you've got people that are bouncing from church to church to church to church to church, I think at some point you've got to own some of that. Some of that. That your unsettledness is, is your spiritual well-being. And that by, you know, looking for, you know, the greener pasture somewhere else, isn't going to work. Now look, if the church is sick, if the church is heretical, if, if the church is just, you know, it's, it's bad news, that's one thing. But if, if all you're looking for is the perfect church and you keep bouncing around, the reason why you keep bouncing around is because it ain't out there. Folks, it's not out there. It doesn't exist. And so it's our responsibility to keep our eyes focused on Jesus and to encourage others and sometimes help people say, look, you know what? Maybe it's not about them. Maybe it's something lacking in my own spirit that I need to take care of. Maybe if I just made a little bit more deliberate effort to choose to grow myself and and grow up in the faith and be more mature, that that I wouldn't get sidetracked and and upset by some of the things that that bother me sometimes and I feel like I need to leave here to go there because there it's going to be better. The problem with there it's going to be better is you keep running into the same kinds of people. It's not the same people, but it's the same kinds of people. And so we have a responsibility, those of us that are mature in the faith, Look, to encourage others and to spur them on toward love and to good deeds and to bloom in a sense, to use the phrase, where they're planted. Because why? Because if we don't, then, then some are in the habit of not meeting together. And because we were meant to be in community, when we're not meeting together, when we're not fellowshipping together, guess what? We're not growing as much as we could be. 
Now, when I'm talking about fellowshipping together, understand what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about sitting in a pew on Sunday morning. This isn't necessarily fellowshipping together. This is, we're all meeting in the right place. Uh, I went and saw a movie yesterday. My wife and my daughter went and got their nails done. And I had a two-hour window and I went and saw a movie. It was awesome. The acting is amazing. It, uh, just This is Academy Award winner for sure. I went and saw Kong, Skull Island. Yeah. Yeah. And in the dark with my regular Coke and my layered buttered popcorn, regular size, not too big, I fellowship with about 50 other people in the dark. Guess how many words I exchanged with those people? Zero. By the way, the best way to see a movie is alone. You can do that here, only we, we don't dim the lights. You can come to church and you can sit with 200 other people and not fellowship at all. Because some of us are like, well, you know, I'll go to church. I'll go. I'll sit and I'll listen. But, but I ain't do nothing else. Because, you know, you know them. No. Right? That's not fellowshipping. You really do have to risk a little. You have to be vulnerable a little. You've got to be willing to make friends with people who aren't perfect. And that don't always deliver the goods. But again, if, if your eyes are on Jesus, who, who never, never fails us, it'll be okay. Because you realize, you know what? We're, we're broken people saved by the grace of God, growing in the things of God. We're not there yet, but we're on the way. And we're going to communicate and connect and fellowship and rub shoulders and talk and visit and, and, and encourage sometimes because together we're better. We're not perfect, but, but together we're better. But some people are in the habit of just, nah. I've often wondered how I would, I would have done as a Christian, not as a pastor. Because I have to show up. Like, I never get this opportunity. You know, Sunday morning, Karen and I get up and I, and I say, to her, we going to church today? I haven't had the opportunity to do that since July 1984. I've never got a vote. Some of you may have wished from time to time we'd taken the time off, but uh, sorry. You know, except for holidays, we're here. Sorry. I wonder, though, because I don't know. You know, I really don't know. I'm assuming that I'm a spiritual giant. I would have been fine. I don't know. I've never had the opportunity to say we're not going. I've, I've never thought about not fellowshipping. When I, when I first got saved back in university days, I, you know, we had a university group that was, a Christian university group that was out there and, and was, you know, very public and annoying. And so I, I, I started to go to the university group, uh, you know, and uh, that's where I learned that community was important because for the first four or five months of my faith, I just was doing it alone. You know, I'd go to Bible study, but I was 20 years old going to a Bible study group that was average age was 50. And they didn't connect with me because I was a kid. They didn't know what to do with me. 
And I wouldn't go to the youth group because they were kids, and I was 21 in university, so, you know, 2021. So I, I just did it alone for the first few months, cause, but I tell you, I did much better when I connected. And I remember some of them, and they weren't perfect. We had two Loises. There was normal Lois, and there was woe is me Lois. I don't remember the last names, but I remember woe is me Lois. Yeah, and it was, it was a um, non-denominational or interdenominational. It was evangelical, but nobody was allowed to talk about their stripe. You know, you weren't Pentecostal, you weren't Baptist, you weren't this, you weren't that. You were just, you were Christ follower. That was it. And we never talked about the other stuff. And woe is me, Lois. It was always, oh, you know, how was your day, Lois? Well, you know, woe is me, you know, from the Bible, right, Old Testament. You know, this happened and that happened. But you know what? We all grew together. It wasn't a perfect group by any, any sense of the imagination, but we all grew together. And we understood the importance of not forsaking uh, the assembling of ourselves, that imperative. We understood the importance in that group of exhorting one another, fully understanding that, again, we're not perfect. But we also understood this, as, as this day also understood. You know what? We need to keep on encouraging one another because the day is approaching. The day is approaching. So these are easy days for us as Christians in Canada. But the day is approaching. I was doing my Bible reading this morning in the book of Joel. Probably not the best book to read before you go to church on a Sunday. And it's three chapters. And, you know, it's not very long, but it's all about doom and gloom for Israel and about the day of the Lord that is approaching. And that one day God's going to restore everything for them, but right now things are bad, right? There's the afterward I will pour out my spirit that Peter eventually preaches about on the day of Pentecost. But back in those days, it, w- it was not good for the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And, and there's a constant theme and reminder that the day is approaching, the great and terrible day of the Lord is approaching, where things are going to get tough on this planet, where things are going to get tough for, for Christ followers and, and, of course, the people of Israel as well. And so we need to realize that... that Things are only going to get worse. I just want to give you one last scripture verse, and then I, I, I'll wrap it up for you. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. I know we're jumping out of our text, but just look at there. 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, the Apostle Paul writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he says this, and I just want to just quote a few verses. But he says, Mark my words, there will be terrible times in the last days. You don't want to be doing this alone, folks. You don't want to be doing this long. Second Timothy 3, 1 to 5. I'm just reading a little bit of it. Mark my words, there will be terrible times in the last days. So we understand this, that you and I as believers need to understand the importance of fellowshipping together. Don't blow off, not just Sunday morning church, because there's more to it than that, but don't blow off the community of fellowshipping and connecting together. You know, whether you start in foundations, you continue in small groups, or it's a Bible study, or, or however that is. But you need to be interwoven into the community of the church. Just coming on Sunday morning, sitting in a pew, staring at me and listening to me, isn't enough. You need to connect with others. Now, you, you know, you may not be connecting with a hundred or a thousand, but you need to connect with others that you can help one another grow, that you can encourage one another, that you can exhort one another. Because, I mean, let's be honest, right? If I ask for a show of hands, have you ever had a bad day? Have you ever had a bad month? you ever had a bad week? You know, have you ever had times in your faith that you've been a little discouraged, a little bummed out, maybe even a little disappointed with God? I bet you if I asked you to put up a hand, if you weren't too embarrassed, all of us would say, yeah, you know what, at one time we were. 
And there are moments like David when, when everybody around him, his, his friends, had abandoned him because he basically lost all their wives and kids and stuff. And the Bible tells us, it points to one verse that says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, we all need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. We all need to do that. But, but the Bible also tells us that we've got a community of believers now because his community forsook him at that time. But we've got a, a community of believers now where we can find encouragement. And you need to be intentional and not so passive that when you see others struggling in their faith and thinking about packing it in, that you need to consider how you can exhort them and not just look at them as another casualty. Well, you know, I don't want to stick my nose in. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to say anything. Yeah, I noticed they haven't been here in ten weeks, but, you know, I don't want to be presumptuous. Usually what happens is this, is I get an email. Hey, Pastor Brandon, have you noticed so-and-so hasn't been there? Nobody else wants to lift a finger. Have you noticed so-and-so hasn't been there? And because I'm not cynical, I always jump on that. But I do wonder sometimes, what did you do? If you've been noticing, what did you do? Shelly here? Good, Shelly's not here. Believe it or not, good, Shelly's not here. Shelly Anchor said this to me about five or six years ago, Mike. She came to us from another church. Difficult circumstances in her life at the time. And, and she said to me, she said, you know what, Pastor Brent? It's great to come to a church that, that appreciates seeing you and is warm and friendly to you on Sunday. And then she said this, but what about the other six days of the week? Because I know we're all guilty of that. We'll walk around on Sunday and go, oh, I haven't noticed so-and-so. But not give them another thought the other six days of the week. Like, we all need to do better, not just the pastors. We all need to do better and understand our importance in the community to encourage one another and exhort even more as the day is approaching. What about the other six days of the week? Now, that's, that's a church. So do not give up meeting together. In Acts 2 and 42, we're given the basis for fellowship. The people came together to grow. They gathered together to grow. We want to continue to talk about that and to teach that in our, in our gatherings. And I'll do more about that next week as I teach from Ephesians chapter 4. But we were never meant to go it alone, folks. And when we go it alone, we are more likely not to make the journey, to complete the journey when we go it alone. The, the understanding these days of independence and being self-made and and all of that, it has no place in the church at all. No, no place in the church, this I'm going to go it alone attitude. No place. We were built and made for community. So the imperative, the command, not the suggestion, don't forsake gathering together, getting together and connecting in meaningful ways is imperative for your growth. And when we see people that are struggling with that, we have a responsibility. Sure, send off your email to me and remind me, but also do something. Consider how you can encourage them. Listen to maybe the struggles that they're going through and see how you can encourage them to continue in the faith, to exhort one another, not, not to ridicule, not, not to finger point, not to chastise, but to exhort. 
those of us that are forsaking the fellowshipping of ourselves, we need to ask ourselves why. It's easy to blame other people. Well, I, you know, I'm not coming there anymore because of this. I got a letter this week, a nice one-page letter from somebody that uh, told me that they couldn't come back to this church anymore because I don't preach enough against homosexuals and lesbians. So, yeah, that was Tuesday morning. And gave me nine very helpful scriptures, which is good. But do you know what I think was going on there? This same person told me about two months ago that God had spoken to them about getting out to church more often because they missed a lot of church. In fact, this person made a point of coming to me one day. My wife can testify to this because she was part of that. Saying, hey, Pastor Brent, Spirit spoke to me and said that I need to get out to church more often. So from here on in, I'm not getting out to church more often. Now, I never asked that person to share that with me. They came to me and shared that. And then every Sunday they were here, they said, you know what? Hey, I just want you to know I'm here again. I'm back. They made it five times. This person made it five times, and then on Tuesday I got the letter. And so, you know what? This is what I think. I think they needed an out. I think they were tired of going to church, that they weren't really into it. They needed an out, and it it, it couldn't rest on them. So they needed to find fault. They needed to find a reason why they couldn't go to church here. And so that was it. I don't preach enough against homosexualities and lesbians and stuff like that. And so they're not here today. You know, I wish them well, but I, I, you know, believe me or don't believe me, I don't think the issue is me or my preaching. I think the issue is their spiritual condition. They needed an out and they got it. Because you can fabricate anything, right? You can make any reason up. They don't do this and he doesn't do this and this, that, the other thing. I mean, there's all kinds of things. That's why I said it's not always us. Maybe sometimes it is us. And maybe sometimes the church is sick. But many times I think it's just us and we're looking for an out. But we need the inspiration of remembering that, that yes, Jesus is coming. But before Jesus comes again, times are going to get tougher and tougher and tougher. And I can guarantee you this, if you don't value the Christian community now, there's going to be a point sometime in your future or in your kid's future or in your grandkid's future that you're going to be happy that you're part of a church family because they're going to be there when you need them to be there. Let's stand and pray.